What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Behind the Facade. I am your host, Gavin J. Gallagher, and on this podcast, I explore the mental and emotional game often playing out subconsciously in your mind and the mind of everyone else in the real estate or property investment market. The key to success in this game is to master your mindset, your behavior, to take control of your thoughts, your emotions, and most importantly, your ego. So here we are, guys, on episode number 54 of the show. Last week, I was speaking with Daniel Priestley. Uh, that was episode number 53. And Daniel and I uh, go back a few years now, having done his Dent uh, Brand Accelerator in London, and uh, which is all online now. So if you haven't listened to that episode, it's definitely one to tune into. This week, I'm actually really, really delighted about this podcast this week because it is an exclusive. Our guest today is Mr. Galen Bales. And you may not have heard of Galen because he's actually never done a podcast interview before. I stumbled across the story when we were chatting. I'm actually a client of uh, Galen in one of his businesses today. And we were chatting just about, you know, our past ventures and things like that. And I just got an inkling of, whoa, there's an interesting backstory there. And so I was really keen to get to have a discussion with Galen and kind of delve deeper into it. And now I'm not going to go into it all now, but I will give you a little bit of a, a teaser to whet your appetite. And it starts with just imagine you had left university and uh, you're only, you know, in your first year out of university or thereabouts and you decide to set up a company in another country first of all not your home country and uh, you realize very quickly that whoa I'm onto something here something very hot and massively in demand and what he actually went on to do literally straight out of college set up his own business and within a year or two he had 250 staff working in eight different countries and he was traveling so much that there was an occasion when he actually woke up in a hotel and he did not know what country he was in, uh, which is very interesting when you think about the way we are all now sort of trapped at home and not able to travel. This is going to be a really interesting one for just people interested in property in general, but also people who are possibly in the prop tech side of things and thinking about starting a company. And Galen has some really, really good a solid advice for you in terms of raising money and you know not being too quick to give away equity to venture capital. Everyone these days I hear they're talking about venture capital and oh I've got to go and meet an investor and I've got to do this and that. And Galen did not take any investment for the first seven years of his business. He put it built it all from profits uh, that he had generated from the business itself. And he went, sold the company, and within a year or two had actually gone out and started something new by accident uh, out of his apartment in Dublin. And within a year or so, he was managing 14,000 apartments uh, across the city and doing something like 100 turnovers a week. So it's an incredible story of just bouncing from one sort of business success to the next and on and on and on. And so you're going to really enjoy this conversation. Now, Galen is a very soft-spoken and humble man. When you hear how much his business, his first business was offered, you're going to, your mind is going to be blown. And I hope you're going to enjoy. So without further ado, I'm going to hand you over to my conversation with Mr. Galen Bales. Galen, you're most welcome. How are you? Great. Welcome. It's good to be here, Gavin. Thank you. 
Um, tell me this, uh, Galen, where, where does this podcast find you? Where are you based right there? I'm at the moment in the Alps. And uh, so I have, place, I have a place in the uh, you know, I seek altitude occasionally and my kids go to school here. So for the COVID period, I've not been in Dublin the entire time. I've uh, actually been camped out uh, in, in the mountains and uh, wow. enjoying uh, enjoying the um, <clears throat> okay, the nature and I guess the the uh, countryside, so to the speak. fresh air, the fresh air, and versus uh, too much snow this year. Uh, uh, but uh, uh, but uh, in- instead of uh, being in the city center of uh, Dublin. Well, wow, that is, uh, I, you're, you're immediately started cut me off in an envious kind of a sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've noticed all these pictures of your morning runs and everything else. And, you know, I, I love Ireland and I love Dublin. I also love, really think the, the Irish countryside uh, hits a, uh, you know, uh, the, the wall of the, the park. I find the countryside to be particularly fantastic in Ireland. Uh, but uh, with my kids being uh, being there, uh, I just thought it was the right opportunity with the family uh, work-life balance, so to speak, that uh, since we're all meeting uh, online, that uh, uh, that I would just divide more of my time in, uh, uh, there than in, in Dublin at the moment. That's great. Wow. Okay. Well, I mean, just, I mean, that's been a great opener, uh, Galen, but for the purpose of um, just giving the audience an impression as to who you are, can you just sum up in a couple of sentences who Galen Bales is? Well, uh, yes, I'm originally from California, and uh, uh, but I've been living in Europe now for 30 years. Uh, I'm a serial, you know, professionally, I'm a father uh, and, uh, and uh, a, a prof- you know, I guess a serial entrepreneur. And uh, I've done a lot of my uh, software development and services companies in the area of property. And uh, today I'm um, uh, responsible for building Link Ireland and specifically work to address the PRS or multifamily or the institutionally owned uh, rental uh, you know, apartment market. And uh, that's where I, I find myself uh, professionally. And uh, although I've um, worked uh, globally, I've been based in uh, Ireland, I've had a, a foot in Ireland, a place in Ireland, and businesses in Ireland since 1994. So I've actually seen, uh, though every once in a while a taxi driver thinks I've just gotten off the boat, because <laughs> <laughs> um, I haven't lost the accent, uh, so to speak. But um, uh, I've been in uh, Dublin since 94, and, and of course during that time we've gotten to to know and love uh, Ireland, and and now I'm a naturalized uh, citizen, so I'm a kind of American Irish versus an Irish American, and uh, um, uh, yeah, so that's a that's a little bit about me. That's great, interesting. And t- can you just take us back? Let Let's go back. You say you're from California originally. Uh, can you right. take us back to you know young Galen leaving university? Uh, where did you go to university first? Yeah, I was at Georgia Tech Electrical Engineering uh, at first, and I was doing computer software for nuclear power plants. And I really decided this is not for me. This is not what I want to do for my entire life. And uh, I ended up getting also a degree in uh, economics, uh, studying and specializing in econometrics where you use computers to model uh, the economy. And then I was in Spain for studying business at the University of Salamanca. And that's where I really decided that I wanted to work and live in Europe. And uh, immediately after graduating, um, unfortunately, there were no jobs available in Madrid and Spain at the time. Uh, the economy just didn't allow for uh, even a qualified foreigner. Uh, you know, there weren't enough jobs for the locals, much less uh, for a foreigner. Uh, and, and so I ended up starting my work career in, in Munich, Germany. And uh, <clears throat> I was, did uh, computer software for the hospitality industry. So my first job was really in hotel property management. There was a company by the name of Fidelio. Uh, they have software that's globally used and they're really the market leader even today uh, called Opera. And uh, I was one of their very, very first employees. So I started really in property management software, but specifically in the hospitality hotel industry. 
Wow. Okay. And um, I mean, in terms of, I, I've looked at your LinkedIn and I've noticed that pretty soon after that, you founded your own business. That's right. I did. I, with two partners, um, I founded a company by the name of Point Information Systems. And we grew that business and um, I was the last man standing, so to speak, um, really into a global corporation. So we started in Munich and um, we did call center software. <clears throat> so okay. in, we started particularly in helping uh, the kind of incumbent uh, IT industry um, move into direct selling. So historically for IT and selling big computers, they, everybody did that with a direct sales. And all of a sudden this guy came around named Michael Dell and he decided to sell by telephone. And then of course later innovated by selling being the first company to sell computers online where you can configure them yourself online. And so the, the incumbent industry had to catch up. And so they had to build call centers and uh, we won in this area. So we had digital and IBM. I think an IBM was installed around 38 different countries around the world. And uh, uh, early on, Hewlett Packard, uh, Unisys, all of them really. Wow. And uh, we just had to grow the team in a, in a huge and quick fashion. And, uh, and that's what actually brought us to Dublin. So in, yeah, so in 93, I came to Dublin for the first time. I didn't realize that Dublin was actually on the water. Right. <laughs> I had never been to Ireland before. Uh, at the time, I didn't think that there was any Irish history. Um, and uh, so people said, you're searching your roots. And actually, I was setting them and not searching them. And, um, uh, and so uh, we got IDA sponsorship for 80 jobs uh, in Dublin in 1994, opened the first office on February 23rd, 1994. And we hired all those people in 12 months. Wow, so, and you yeah. were you were a young guy. I mean, you... I was. I was. Um, gee, what was I? You know, I was under thirty, and uh, so and just literally was, finished college, finished university, just finished colleges, and you know, um, yeah, was, within a year of graduating, I had my own business, and wow. uh, and two hundred and fifty uh, employees to, to two hundred fifty employees. We had office then Munich, Dublin, London, Paris, um, Singapore, Tokyo, Sydney, and Boston, and wow. uh, and so. <clears throat> we, um, yeah, we grew. And, and at that time, um, maybe the mentality or my mentality was different. You know, so we didn't grow with external money. That All that growth for the first, um, first seven years was all self-funded, basically profits. Wow. So we actually made money <laughs> versus and we had a small loan from the bank, uh, but uh, to help us get started. Uh, but it wasn't uh, externally financed, uh, at least not to start. And, um, and so it was a different mindset versus some of the the kind of the, the IT culture today that you go out, you raise 5 million, and then you start thinking about your idea. Um, yeah. so the, we actually had real customers and the like. And that, I guess, brought to me um, not only the international com component of really getting to see the world. You know, I had somehow this desire um, to have a company that was working globally that uh, really that the sun didn't set on the company. I and, I didn't. Yeah. and sometimes we use that to our benefit. We had a big project maybe in Europe or in Asia and the team would develop in one location and then the testing would be done in another location or on the other side of the world. So the people would go home and the following morning would they come back, you know, hundred hours might've been put in a testing already. And so, yeah. um, so it was a large company that was serving large corporate brands. Uh, we broke into the insurance industry and really became a market leader in um, insurance and handling insurance claims. I know more about that than I ever wanted to. Uh, and, uh, but it really brought this whole idea of what you need to do to make processes run quickly. And uh, to a degree, there was always a kind of a customer relationship management front to it. 
And in fact, uh, that's what I'm doing today, which is uh, it's a property management solution, but really it's a resident uh, customer relation management system that helps people manage all the issues that the residents have. I guess so. So a lot of the um, a lot of what I learned at Point and a lot of what I learned uh, from Fidelio without the need to travel like I used to. Can we just go back for a second? I was just, I'm just, I mean, I haven't had many guests that have grown at such a rapid pace, grown a business so quickly. Can you just give us an impression what it's like to grow at that rapid pace? And I mean, is it super hectic? What is the, what are your priorities when you're in a business that's growing that quickly? People. So hiring as, as hiring. many people as fast. You know, we're in Germany at the time and uh, the German government also put an ad in Economist saying, you know, invest in Bavaria. And uh, we went to them and they gave us a book and literally in the book it said software is not a technology. <laughs> they got it wrong. And the IDA got it right. Yes, yeah, software, ask Google, software is a technology. And, um, um, but actually people was the most critical thing. So we, you know, we were 40 people, IDA did a, a case study on us. We were 40 people in Germany and we applied for 80 people in, um, in, <clears throat> in Ireland. They said, come on guys, you know? And so they gave us 40 and, and three months later, we went up in the door. So we had the 40, we need another 40. Wow. <laughs> and that's why they gave us the 80. And so the most critical thing was to find qualified people. And at the time in, in Dublin, we did. You know, the amazing thing is, and this may be hard for uh, everyone to maybe, a lot of people have to remember back or they weren't active in the in, in a professional life at the time. But in 1994, we put a, a two, three-liner ad in the Irish Times looking for an office manager. And we got like 1,800 letters. Jeez. Wow. I do remember that. I mean, I, I was, you're placing me. In 1994, I was doing a year out, I was in the middle of an architecture degree and I, and I was, it was recommended that you take a year out and work for a big firm. So I went to work for a firm called Scott Tannen Walker. Right. And I can remember at the time, uh, it was a Dublin was definitely a different place. It was, right. we were only coming out of that kind of period when it was super slow growth at mm-hmm. uh, the eighties was very high interest rates and everything was kind of slow and there wasn't too many jobs going around. So if you left the Shelburne Hotel and went down Marion Road, turned left and went to the government buildings, half of it was derelict. Yeah. Where the Marion Hotel was, was completely derelict. Um, uh, all of uh, uh, Marion Square, almost all of it was, um, you know, bedsits kind of. You know, I can remember I used to, I used to cross the Liffey in the morning going to, to the university I was in. And as I was walking across the Liffey, I would be going up um, Mary Street and Liffey Street and, those were all derelict. I mean, it was just buildings were all flattened and it was just lots basically where you could park cars. And now it's all, you know, seven and eight story buildings. But back then it was just totally derelict. So I've only known Dublin since 94, but in that time, I've seen a lot of change, you know, up and down. And, you know, there was a lot of benefits of things of Dublin back in that day too. You know, so it's, you know, there's been change that's been positive. There's change that we've lost some things too. I can remember very early days when we had our office, I called the office and I asked for someone and the secretary, somebody answered the phone. And and I was like, is they there? No. And then somebody said, yes, are they there? No. And they said, no. And I was like, well, why are you there? He said, I drew the call. So I drew the short stick. And it was a beautiful, sunny, hot day, and everybody was just outside. <laughs> everybody just left the office. And you, as the boss, were thinking, hmm. <laughs> and I was calling from Singapore, who knows where. And, uh, and, uh, and so um, I can remember once uh, being in an IBM building, and uh, someone asked me, Well, where are you? And I couldn't remember. 
I didn't know. And they said, well, look out the window. And I looked, and I said, oh, I see the Eiffel Tower. Okay. Wow. Jeez, <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know. And so people were critical. And I, I have to say, Ireland's treated me very well in general. But in that case, in 94, we found fantastic people. And I, and I have to say that many of the people that uh, worked for us in those early years, you know, hit the ground running, had brought immediate traction with customers are on the development team. Uh, we built the finance function there. Um, but also, um, many of them have turned out uh, to go out into fantastic careers and be uh, um, <clears throat> uh, entrepreneurs in their uh, in their own right. And of course, that's fun fun over the years uh, to to see, of course, as well. Mm-hmm. I think there's also a critical issue, particularly if you don't have the big bucks behind you, or even if you do, but they haven't put the money in, yeah. uh, uh, is to manage cash flow. You know, and to, to make sure People that cash flow. Yeah, the cash flow is all also uh, uh, critical. But um, at, at some stage, if you have something that does get traction, then you get into that hyper growth uh, yeah. opportunity. And there you really have to, you know, take it while it rains, you yeah, know, yeah. because, you know, sometimes, um, you know, 20 customers call them in all at once. And, uh, you, you know, it would be much better if one came a week. Uh, but sometimes they all come on Tuesday and you just have to go for it because uh, if you push them away or yeah, somebody it, else will take it, it yeah. there's, there's no guarantee they come back. And so that's, that's a challenge. And um, uh, so managing your growth, you know, and, and coming up with ideas about how to manage your growth. But for years, because we had these large global corporate customers, we spent a lot of our time or, you know, or I spent a lot of time dreaming up new things to sell them. You yeah, know, add-ons to expand our revenue base with the existing customer base, and and ultimately that helped you grow your customers as well because you had a more comprehensive offering. Cash flow and people—that was the main thing that you were mm-hmm. sort of focused on. In terms of your own personal growth, I mean, that was a period when you were going from you know being a university student to suddenly running a global organization. I mean, what kind of mindset? hurdles or you know shifts that you have to make and were there any weaknesses major weaknesses that you had to overcome i guess first off for me i uh i went to georgia tech in atlanta uh and uh kind of an engineering program and we worked and went to school the whole time so i actually had five years of work experience when i graduated right okay and so so that really helped me you know, because i actually had five years of working in a large corporation and the way it worked is i Worked full-time one quarter and took a very hard course. <laughs> and right. then I was, I was in school full-time and I worked maybe 20 hours a week. And, and so I really already had five years of experience, which was great. Uh, but I, in general, I think for all entrepreneurs, they start and, the, and they have a passion for a particular idea and they start to make that idea become a reality and prove it in the marketplace. But at some stage with your growth, all of a sudden you get into a situation where you haven't seen the movie before. All of a sudden, you get to a stage where there's a new challenge, whatever it is. It might be technical. It could often has to do with customers or the growth or managing the number of people or uh, facilities management, which you've never been exposed to before, or those associated decisions. Um, and, uh, uh, and all of a sudden, then you start to doubt yourself. And, uh, and so, or you doubt your ability to, to make the right decision. And, um, and so I, I think that happens to a, a lot of entrepreneurs. And uh, it's at some stage within their development. And then the, the critical thing is to find the right people around you to support you in, those, in that, that step. And sometimes it's difficult to do with your own pl- employees. Uh, and uh, so we created um, a board, actually, you know, because I didn't at the time have the gray hair. 
Yeah. Um, I, I, I didn't have the experience. And for somebody under 20, you know, today, I think it's more acceptable, you know, to have a large co- corporation and be a, a business. And, and at the time, it really wasn't, particularly in Germany, you know, it was expected that you had done 30 years, you know, in a large corporation, and you didn't come in at 27 years old and tell them how it's done. <laughs> you know? So you were an outlier. Not even, not even speak German. Yeah, and, you were an um, outlier in a big way. I was an outlier, really. And, uh, and so in a ways, I tried to hide it. I could say it, but a lot of my friends would have always said I'd show up, you know, at 11 o'clock at a party, you know, in a, a gray suit with a tie, <laughs> or if I dressed down a gray slacks and a blue sports coat or something like that. But, um, uh, you know, so it, at the time it wasn't um, so readily available in venture, venture capital, but it was also not necessarily automatically accepted that you came in, even as a technology person at, at such an age and be a leader of an or such an organization. Um, that was and, a big uh, overcome to try and yeah, overcome that then. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so until I think it's it's probably easier. I still find venture capital very, very difficult to raise in Dublin. Um, I think you know, people who are trying to raise money in, in Ireland at an early stage of the, the product uh, development or the company development really find it difficult. And and I almost feel that um, it would be faster and easier for them to go out and raise revenue versus to try to raise uh, equity-based uh, equity based money. And I almost think that they, they get the, the horse before the court, you know, the cart, so to speak. Yes. Yeah. Um, but Interesting. Um, it was, but it was an exciting time and it, it, um, it was a fantastic learning experience, but I'm glad to have a smaller uh, goal set now. And I'm ha- glad uh, but, uh, and to have a, a smaller territory or focus area and, and um, not be, um, not be concerning what's happening in Pakistan or uh, Malaysia today. And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, and, not, and tell me, how did you exit? I mean, was it a successful exit from your point of view? It, it was successful. It could have been a lot better. And so, um, because we were in such a, a strong position that every time that we did then take a round of funding, uh, we took money off the table. Right. Okay. Uh, and so, uh, in the Irish context, our um, our first investor was Paul Coulson. Oh yeah, I am. No. Paul, Paul was a has been was extremely successful then, but has gone even on to bigger and better things. And he put one million into the business. Um, and um, helped us grow and actually helped give us some backbone uh, for later stages. And then uh, my first institutional round was with Goldman Sachs. Wow, okay. And uh, that was a due diligence like that of no due diligence. It's, I mean, to go from having no institutional investor to having Goldman Sachs around your neck um, was an incredible learning experience. And uh, there, uh, Peter Sutherland, Oh yes, uh, who, took, uh, who at the time was the chairman of Goldman Sachs International, also an Irish card, so to speak. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, unfortunately, who's uh, passed away. Yeah. Uh, then uh, stepped in and and uh, put his own man uh, onto onto the board, and to have their um, insight and connections and support was uh, was tremendous, and that allowed us to uh, take money off the table, if that makes sense, uh, uh, both rounds, and and then the next investor was Allianz. Okay. And so Allianz was a huge customer uh, globally. And um, I don't know, we had maybe 10,000 people using our software within the Allianz group globally. And, uh, uh, and then they invested and I also took money off the table. Unfortunately, the, we were hit a little bit from the dot-com crash. Okay. And so yeah. the, the final exit wasn't as successful, but um, to, to be frank, we had an offer on the table, which unfortunately I didn't know about it because I would have pushed hard to take it. But the, um, the, the investor group had a, an offer for a half billion. And so for the business in one stage, but unfortunately, uh, we didn't exit that at that stage. And you said half a billion there. That's right. Yeah, wow. we, got a, we got an offer for four hundred eighty-five million. Jeez, and, uh, okay. So 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 it was just a sizable 
and they didn't take that and then yeah, you know you always think these investors are smart and willing to take take uh, are greedy and willing to take the money but in this case unfortunately um he wasn't um so uh, so bright and certainly uh was too greedy uh, right. uh, uh and because he felt that uh, that with waiting that uh, that might go more and, and uh, of course with the dot com uh, that put uh, you know a, a lot of dreams on hold um, and did uh, so how long after that offer until the crash came along and it was well, i don't know the exact time a couple of years a couple two, of years two okay. years two two three years and yeah, uh, yeah. and uh, that must have been a painful experience to it took me a while to find out about that number you know, okay. You know, but um, I, you know, the experience uh, was the same. The experience that I gained in, in growing a business of that uh, of that size, and and particularly those years, those initial seven years with no external funding, um, were were really um, eye opening. You know, and um, and for me at the time, it was terribly exciting to be uh, all over the world, really. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, to get to uh, understand how things work in different parts of the world, et cetera, was for me quite fascinating and 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 um, uh, and, and and interesting. But um, um, you know, the the my own personal skill set is more customer focused and more um, packaging a solution, getting it to market, uh, using services to get it into the market and, to, and, and the like, and, and taking care of customers versus the pure software development. And so my current role where I don't have the, the responsibility for software development is actually a really good fit for, for what I enjoy doing. Yeah, interesting. Um, so let's just, I mean, after, after point, um, after your exit, or um, disappointing as it might have been, um, W39, um, I yeah. see, that was another company that you founded. That's right. So, so you, you didn't you know, wait I, any time, you just straight you know, into I, the I, I, You know, I, I had a few million in the bank, and I took a nice long vacation period, and I took a book with me about buying rental property and uh, learned what rental void was. And okay. I bought two apartments and uh, 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 Clarion Key there on the Keys. Oh yeah, I know. On the Liffey and the Liffey. I took about two apartments, fitted them out nicely and everything else. And um, I got a phone call and, and they said, um, we want to move out. And I was like, why? It was like only three months or four months later. I said, somebody got sick in the lift and they haven't cleaned it. And I was like, oh, I'm sure they will. They said, no, it was a month ago. So I went down and looked at it my own eye. And sure enough, that was the case. And the gardens weren't in and the place was dirty. And so I called the property management company. I said, what's going on? And they said, yeah, we call every day and they, the cleaners won't come. And I said, are you paying them? They said, of course we're paying because we don't pay them. You know, they'll never come. And this is a period when Dublin, they're throwing up apartments everywhere. And yeah. I said, this is an opportunity. You know, if they're paying people and they're not even doing the service, then you come in and you just cross the T's and dot your I, you have that opportunity to grow. And so that was the impetus to start W39. I lived in the warehouse apartments that uh, Michael Roden developed and oh, yes, apartment 39. Okay, okay. I never thought that it would grow outside of my side bed, you know, my spare bedroom. And so W39 was born and it really took off. And, um, and so uh, I grew that business and to serve about 14,000 apartments. The common areas, uh, we did a hundred more um, uh, turnovers, apartment turnovers uh, a month. And, but more than 50% of the business were doing uh, commercial office, multi-tenant offices or individual offices, um, you know, services. And, um, and I sold that business uh, to the management team about three years ago. And I'm very happy to see that go and, uh, and allow me to really concentrate what I personally enjoy doing, which is more on the technology front. 
So it gave me, though, at the same time, a very clear picture for what property managers are doing with their time and energy. Uh, Joe Wise, uh, who also unfortunately has passed away, but was just a, a tremendous man and, and who really had a technology uh, side to him, uh, let me sit in his office for a day. And I monitored the five um, property managers, residential property managers in the office, and took track of what they were doing. And they spent 50% of their day just capturing issues. Right, okay. Right. Somebody called in and talked about the weather and the dog and the weather and everything else. Oh, there's a uh, there's a mattress in the a car park. <laughs> After ten minutes. No, thirty. Oh God, yeah. yeah. And and so um, and so I just realized that that these and they didn't have a technology. They had an accounting system. Them, but they didn't have a technology to support these day-to-day -day activities. And they used 3M notes and, and they some used a block and, and they just had no support. To, uh, and I was like, coming from my call center mentality, I said, there just has to be a way. And yeah. so I got a uh, grant from Enterprise Island to do a feasibility study. And in that feasibility study, I did a competitive analysis and discovered that there's somebody who had already done the solution. And that was called Building Link. And uh, I didn't have enough money to, to buy them. And I did an estimate at the time that I would need six to eight million to replicate it, you know, and uh, in maybe three years. And okay. uh, and and so I saw, I thought the build by a lie decision. I thought the ally was the best option. And so I flew there uh, to New York and convinced them to give me Ireland, all thirty-two counties as a territory. And okay. uh, and so that's what I'm doing. To, uh, I'm doing today. And and so for a while I did it jointly. I had W39 and, and building link. And uh, it was clear that it was better to let the lads run with W39. And I, I went off to um, to do building link. Mm -hmm. So tell us about building link. I mean, I, I'm a client uh, right. in, uh, with East Point, but it's it's primarily uh, focused on apartments. Right. It was primarily focused on, on, on the residential market. It was founded um, in Manhattan over 20 years ago. And um, they started in multifamily or what in Ireland the people call PRS or the private rented sector or uh, build to rent. So it's effectively institutionally owned, uh, professionally managed residential units. And um, they're really effectively the global leader. And, and the portion of handling everything from the day the lease agreement is signed all the way to the day that people move out. What they don't do is really the money. So the accounting system and what they really don't do is help people market and sell their units, you know, and link to daft and get their inventory on the market, et cetera. But, but for that portion of their, the market leaders, they um, serve over uh, 6,000 buildings globally. They um, uh, serve over 2 million residential units globally. So it's big. Wow. Yeah. So it's, they serve more units than are in Ireland, put it that way. Wow. Wow. And, uh, and so it's a it's a big operation, uh, you know, well run uh, with with solid deep functionality that uh, stands up. And so it's a, it's a, I guess a joy to work with somebody that really already has the package that that's stood the test. Yes, um, they do. Um, you know, they're probably best known uh, globally for the lifestyle residential buildings. You know, so residential buildings that are manned, staffed concierge desk, reception staff, on-site management, letting team, uh, residential amenities with a gym, with a communications, communications, et cetera. Yeah. And so we're probably best known for doing the Ritz-Carlton residences globally, the okay. Four Seasons residences globally, the W residences globally. 
um, the uh, Ritz, uh, St. Regis residences, all the Mandarin okay. Oriental residences. All the top, all the top names. Yeah, we do really high end too, but of course we do military housing, <laughs> social <Okay>. housing, <laughs> you know, et cetera. But we're probably known most for these more lifestyle, you know, buildings. But in the U.S. market where uh, multifamily or PRS, the, the rental market is a little bit more um, mature or developed, uh, uh, you know, almost all the buildings, whether you pay 450 or 4,500 a month, uh, you tend to have those type of facilities in a rental building in the U.S. And yeah. so we'll probably see that over time in Ireland as well. You know, uh, well, and um, so they're really effectively the market leader. And it's my role to make sure that we're the market leader in Ireland. Yeah. Wow, that's impressive uh, numbers. I was going to ask you, I mean, given your their, well, your involvement with them and the fact that they have so many units under their management, um, I mean, do you have any insights as to where prop tech, where the industry is going um, in over, say, the next three to five years? Yeah, I, I guess I've, I've been thinking a lot about where the PRS market in, in Ireland is going. And uh, for sure, the, the idea of having a resident app uh, whether and is in the PRS market is becoming almost the number one amenity that you you really have to have a, a, a contactless way to interact with your residents. And although it's really now with the institutionally owned and professionally managed properties or the very high end uh, uh, residential developments, you know, things like Lansdowne Place and there in Balls Bridge or Marinella or, 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 uh, and Rathgar or Dennybrook Gardens and Dennybrook, these type of properties. But I think over time that the general... Um, apartment complexes with a typical owner management company, property manager will see that this is the way to go because they, they have no other way to manage the level of, 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 of interactions and to deliver the, the service level that people are going to start to ex- expect over time. Yeah. You know, the, there's a maturation process on the residential side uh, overall. And, and so I think that the, the, um, having a resident app is going to be a, a clear winner. I think that there's also a strong trend and, and building management on the residential side. Uh, a lot of these systems are, are existent and commercial, uh, but, uh, but it's been difficult to size them that are so that you could bite size them so they fit in a, a residential complex with internet of things. Yeah. So that you can connect different devices or understand what's happening in your building or get alerts if something's going wrong. Uh, and I think there's going to be uh, and a huge adoption of those type of technologies and buildings, and uh, and that you know, if you think of um, Dundrum Town Center, um, <clears throat> you know the, um, that um, uh, where people were just in awe that you could go and drive into a car park and see where a space and was the, and the red lights, <laughs> the little red light or green light, and to direct your direction, you know, uh, to do that, but that for your three visitor spaces. Yeah, yeah. Right. That it might be associated with your residential development. Uh, and so that before you send them down to take spot A, uh, that you know that it's free, <laughs> you know, you know, and uh, so I think, uh, or something that checks water where it shouldn't be, you know, these, these type of facts are, or integration to your uh, gym. So you know how the gym's being used or, or people know that uh, something's free, you know, before they go. And uh, so I, I think the internet of uh, things will be something that will become more commonplace, even in residential mm-hmm. developments and not just a large uh, 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 co- uh, co- commercial um, uh, com- commercial buildings and uh, and and I guess the trend that I mentioned uh, where you know so many of the residential managers, particularly on the OMC, you know, um, build to sell arena, um, don't have technology to directly interact with um, their owners and and almost no ability to communicate to the residents. 
You know, yeah. I'm trying to figure out still how, if you're managing 400 units, you only know the owners because and, and there's 900 people living there and only 10% of them are owners. And so 90% of the people, you don't even know who they are. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. If, if there's something you have to tell them about COVID, how do you do that? And yeah. so it's a real know. challenge. And, and <laughs> are you finding GDPR uh, an issue in, in that regard? Uh, no, I, I think, you know, the GDPR wants you to not keep, you know, personal profiles of people, you know, and, you know, um, but you, you can use business information or data. You know, there is a law in Ireland that if you're in a residential development, you let your unit that you have to give the information to the property manager, you okay. know, ma- managing company. So there's a law that says that should hold the data, um, but none of them do. Right. And, okay. uh, and, and I think that over time, they'll need technology to do that because they, they almost have a duty of care for the people living in these buildings and not just to the owners. Mm. And I think that that, um, uh, that, um, that will come over. Uh, it's, they'll need technology to support it, but I think there will be a legislative or a, uh, a business driver that, that'll make that a, a change in the OMC world over, over the next years. Tell me, do you believe uh, that machine learning and artificial intelligence will have a role to play in in all of this stuff? You know, I I think there's in in that whole terminology, there's things that people do that are really straightforward, that are applications of that, that are easygoing and and easy to implement. And BuildingLink has one, for instance, that when you uh, use uh, our device and the, the camera on your phone to take a picture of a label for a package, that yeah. it learns over time this, that, you know, the unpost always has 372 is the first numbers. And then the next package, it'll automatically know or suggest that it is an unpost package or a FedEx package or a UPS package. And so there, there are some uh, real tangible examples of that, uh, that, uh, that exist today. Uh, you know, but, you know, predictive uh, analysis that, uh, uh, that, you know, that will help identify which of your residents are going to move out in advance. You know, I think that those, those, those models will come, but I still think they're, they're probably more than three years away. And, uh, you know, I, I think that uh, for a lot of the resident information, big data doesn't exist yet. You know? yeah. So uh, I think they'll, uh, they'll need to collect more data over time in the Irish context in particular before they'll be able to um, put those type of tools to work. Shifting gears a little bit, Galen, um, okay. I was going to ask you just, uh, do you have any habits or behaviors that you believe have served you well in, in, in a successful career? I guess I would for sure say never giving up. Tenace, tenacity. Yeah, yeah, just not giving up. Uh, we won Ireland's largest PRS site and the, uh, the asset manager uh, walking into the first meeting to kick it off. He said, you know, I looked at my calendar. It was seven years ago that you first stopped by. <laughs> really? Wow. He said, seven years ago? He said, yeah. And I said, like, well, I knew it was a while ago. I didn't think it was seven years ago. He said, yeah. And he said, you know what you said when you left, when you shook my hand? And I said, no. And he said, I know, and it's not now, but we will. This is a perfect fit, and we will work together <laughs> or something Jeez, like that. Yeah. And I said, I think that's one. But I think the other is that uh, sometimes you don't give up. But every once in a while, you do have to kind of um, make an analysis where you're having fun and where you're getting rewarded. And, com- and comparing those two, are you, are you the, where you're having the most fun? Is that where you're getting rewarded the most, or are you where you're not having any fun? Is that you know, and adjusting it, to what you're doing, so that the reward and have the fun is is in the right place. And um, and so uh, I think that's something that you have to do on occasion as well, just to make sure that you're going in the right direction, you're doing the right things in life. Um, you know, and in the meantime, still don't give up what you believe should be right. 
Yeah. And and uh, the opposite of that, have you identified any habits, bad habits that you have kind of vanished, vanquished from from doing because they were not serving you? And when I was very young, I was a perfectionist. Okay, I can I can relate to that, by the way. Yeah, yeah, and uh, OCD and all that. Yeah, and 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 then I realized you know the way you couldn't do it because you just didn't have enough time. And then I had a very good manager who led our Asia Pacific operation for Point, and he was very very successful. And he had this percentage concept. And he always would say, okay, for this one, we have to perform at 40% and we'll win. Wow. Okay. Or we'll only, we could, with a 20% job, we can win this one. And uh, this one requires, he, I never had a job that he said it needed 100%, maybe 80 or 90. And so he was always very clear about um, what level of resources did you put on something to, for the efficiency side versus just perfection. And I would say when I started in my career, I was probably more perfection oriented than efficiency oriented and, and, and particularly in the investment of my own time and maybe even corporate resources, but for sure my own time. And uh, so that's something that I've gotten better with, I guess, over the, over the years. And in a way you, you have to, because there's only so many hours in the day and the broader your set of responsibilities, the more you have to, to change on that. Mm, that's a great insight. I was actually, I was reading yesterday, <laughs> very recently, um, that there's a there's a there's a chap called Dan Sullivan and he runs a company called Strategic Coach and mm-hmm. uh, and I'm I'm a client of theirs but he has a thing a, a similar kind of a thing around p- uh, percentages and he reckons that 80 percent is the most that you should ever aim for or do and mm-hmm. when you get to the 80 percent point then hand it off to somebody else because mm-hmm. somebody seeing it for the first time will actually easily take it from what they've received as you know zero input they'll bring it to 80 percent which will mean that the document or whatever you're working on is at now about 96 percent right mm-hmm. but the effort for you to go be from 80 to 100 is so huge and so great that it's not worth pursuing that Right. My uh, life uh, professionally has almost always been building something up, often from scratch, and then after proving it, then handing it over to somebody else. And let them run it. Or... And then let them run it. And, uh, uh, and, and so in point, I constantly worked myself out of a job. And often then I would point somebody to take it over that actually was better at that job than I would ever be. If that makes That's sense. the key to delegation. Uh, and and uh, um, and uh, and I have a little bit of a talent for uh, for identifying talent um, and and motive, motivating them. I would never be a good um, headhunter. Um, some people have said that to me, but it's much more of a transaction business. And I've always been more relationship oriented. You know, right. I always thought, okay, you win a customer, and this is a customer for life, and you know, you, you make all your decisions based on this. Um, so this is a lifetime customer versus, let's say, uh, somebody who just does transactions and moves on and maybe never sees the counterparty again. And, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I noticed in um, your LinkedIn, it's a it's a good resource that you served as a non-executive of the Irish Georgian Society for for a right, number of right. Years. Yeah, I, yeah, that's right. And um, I was curious. I mean, what um, what what was the motivation behind that? And do you have a a strong belief in heritage and things like that? I, I, I really enjoy architecture mm. and, uh, and I've really enjoyed over the years to get to know Irish architecture. And um, uh, I was a member of the Irish um, uh, Georgian Society. I, um, uh, I'm also currently on the, the board of the Irish Landmark Trust. Okay. The Irish Landmark Trust. And uh, I was also the chairman of the Chester Beatty Library's 
membership organization. And so I have a general interest in culture, but uh, in particular, I guess, built heritage or architecture. And, and so the Irish Door Society was a great way to get to know Ireland. Right. And so over the years, I got to know uh, Desmond Guinness and uh, got to know uh, very well and became very friendly with um, uh, Desmond the Knight of Glynn. And, um, and so the Knight actually asked me to join the Irish Shore Society. And he, he told me that I was to join basically to bring this American idea of membership systems and the rest. And after I signed up, then he told me actually he wanted me to be the person uh, to be the bull in the China shop to push through governance reforms. And it was a very difficult thing in, a, uh, in an Irish organization that you know, had a 50 year history and where everybody knows everybody. You know, and you know, and there had been somebody on the board for forty-eight years, and but and nobody arrive, could. You you arrive in, and it's like <laughs> I arrive in. So, hey, we we have to we have to have a rotation system, and after three years, you're gone. Uh, you know, one more time, so maximum six years or something like that. You were popular, and, so <laughs> I was very popular, and uh, <laughs> and so uh, that was my role, uh, my role with them. But um, it's a great organization, and uh, I think they've helped keep what, uh, what some important of uh, Dublin or, or of Ireland for that matter um, uh, there, you know, without their efforts, um, the, the, the center of the city would obviously look much different than it does today. Mm. Um, similarly with the Irish Landmark Trust, uh, there, there's buildings, dotted, important buildings all dotted all over the, dotted all over Ireland that uh, would no longer be there. And, uh, and even if um, not everyone feels, um, close affinity to some of these buildings. It is part of the history and it, they should be perceived and probably over time, they'll be um, more valued uh, uh, for mm. what they are. And, uh, and so for me, it's a, it's a, a big distance from HTML programming or the customer uh, tenant retention. And, and so it's a, it's a nice change of pace uh, and something that, that I just personally enjoy. And I was just going to ask, I mean, in, in, you know, similar to that discussion that we've just had, I mean, the whole argument around Ireland at the moment, or around Dublin in particular, around high buildings and building mm -hmm. tall buildings. And, and like, where do you stand on that? Because clearly part of old Dublin has to go in order to make way for these. Mm -hmm. And I'm certainly supportive of, of tall buildings because I do think the density is required to kind of, um, you know, so you're not driving for miles and miles and miles. You know, the city has become such a sprawl as opposed to being kind of a dense center what what are your yeah, views on i have uh, i have um mixed feelings about it and it might be difficult for me to articulate an exact policy prescription if i could describe it that way and my first thought though in ireland the biggest problem is the lack of, of transportation infrastructure yeah for sure and so if you compare um, dublin which is effectively a very similar sized city to munich and you go in munich and you go down into the underground system and you see the thousands and thousands of people and they the level that Munich is connected, um, they've been, been able to maintain their downtown without skyscrapers and allow skyscrapers to appear everywhere. But you can live really 40 kilometers away and get it in, get into the center of Munich in, in a couple of minutes. And, wow. and because it's underground and you're not stuck in a traffic lane that doesn't move. And, and so uh, I think the, the biggest issue for fixing Dublin's challenge with density, et cetera, is having an adequate um, uh, transportation system. You know, I had um, Garrett Fitzgerald, the former Taoiseach, uh, uh, on my board at Point for 12 years. And we became very close friends and we traveled the world together. And he told me that the Lewis program was put on his table and he, he did not support it. 
And the reason was, he told me, was that they did a study and that the Lewis wasn't big enough. It wouldn't be able to do it. And it had to go underground. And, uh, and particularly in the city center, even if it came out above ground later. Yeah. yeah. And, and he said they did a study and you would have to have the, have the trains one after the other constantly in all directions. And even then it wouldn't be able to handle the traffic. And that's why initially they didn't meet, match. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember seeing this German couple once and I speak German and they were like, where does it meet? <laughs> I was like, yeah. it doesn't. And they said, he doesn't understand you, honey. <laughs> I responded in German. No, I just, just didn't mean that was, for a foreigner, it was just impossible to understand how you build a transportation seat where the, where the two lines don't meet. And the reason they didn't meet was they didn't, they, they didn't think it could handle the, the traffic. And that's why no bus stops at a Lewis station at, at initially. It was because they didn't think it could handle the, capa- you know, the capacity requirements. And so um, for me, the, 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 in terms of solving the problem, like does, do tall buildings just solve the problem? I don't know, but, but for sure what needs, what's needed for Dublin is, is a transportation system. And, uh, and e- I even did a calculation because they got rid of the old bullet train from Japan. Yes. And if you put that train and you put it between, un, you know, in Germany under Stevens Green would be three car levels of car parking, the, the underground system, and below that, the high speed train. Wow. The high speed train, if you did it to Ear Square and Galway, would take you about 32 minutes. Wow. So you, right? could, you could live you, in Galway. You could live in Galway and commute to Dublin. And, wow. uh, and so, um, and so the transportation system and a real infrastructure investment program is the thing that need, is needed to solve it. I know a guy who does the uh, recruiting for IKEA and they pay well and they have good benefits, but his problem is nobody can get there. Yeah, and yeah. so if, if he has catchment area for potential employees are right next door. And then I guess with the tall buildings, you know, tall buildings and density are a requirement, you know, and but the question is where. And, uh, and, and so do you put one on Stevens Green because there's space available or uh, do you put it um, on the M50? Yeah. And, uh, and the problem that people don't want to put it on the M50 is they can't get there. And, uh, and the same with idea with IKEA. And so they can't get there and they can't get to work. Then nobody wants to live there and that impacts rents and everything else. So the, dy- the dynamic, I think, that we're experiencing without even casting whether good or bad is that uh, you have to almost put it in the city center because all, all trains go to the city center and all buses go to the city center. And so if you're not in the city center, then the, the attractiveness of your offer you know whether it's commercial or retail, uh, or uh, or where to live, um, you know diminishes, and so uh, in only an infrastructure system will, you know, tr- transportation infrastructure system will help there. Mm, interesting. Um, I wanted to ask you, given your, you know, your role in um, property management and all that, I mean, what are the areas that you know COVID has impacted from your perspective? And what do landlords need to be looking at? Has it changed or are things still the same as they were before the pandemic? No, things have changed. And, um, um, you know, globally, um, you know, in some of the big cities, uh, let's say Manhattan, occupancy rates are down 30% in apartments. Um, rents are down 30%. And so we're very, very fortunate in Ireland from, an, from the investor perspective that, um, that the rents have not plummeted. Supply demand imbalances. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, not that they haven't gone down, they have gone down a bit, but not like they have globally. And that under, fundamentally that there is such a huge demand for housing. And PRS of course will be part of that answer. And so why that's good or why that's important, I guess for the general population, just versus the investors 
is that that'll continue the flow of investment. Because a lot of the housing units that are being built today wouldn't happen without institutional investment. And the institutional investment are only doing it, uh, only building 400 units, not on a speculative basis so they can sell each individual item, each individual apartment uh, you know, for a small profit or a big profit. They're doing it because uh, they're going to turn it into a, a fantastic investment for a pension fund. And, and, and yeah, and so... Um, and so a lot of the money and a lot of the planning permissions and development that is happening in Ireland today to, to help solve the um, housing crisis wouldn't be happening if that, uh, that return or that um, opportunity wasn't there for the investors. And so thankfully, Ireland, uh, that hasn't, the, that the, the, the um, investment picture hasn't changed so broadly that people have, have stopped investing. Um, and but more more broadly in terms of the day-to-day -day management of buildings, uh, the requirement for online interactions has gone through the um, through the roof. And so, uh, if you have a building with a gym before, just people could go whenever it was open from 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. Today, you have to um, you have to uh, reserve your slot. And yeah. so you can't have people coming into the office to, to do that on paper, uh, you know. And so the, the ability to the demand and the engagement levels on the residents have just gone through the roof. And uh, the, the level of engagement we're having with the building link apps and we designed apps specific to individual properties or individual customers, uh, the, the usage statistics are just mind boggling. And just uh, massively, massively, impressive. just massive. We have one client uh, uh, that um, started implementing at four sites last year and more than 100,000 uh, 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 online logins, you know, of wow. that, you know, it's, it's just mind boggling. The, 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 and the percentage of people that are logging in, you know, like 98%, 92% wow. of all residents are, are using the app. And, and so, um, so that uh, has for sure been an acceleration. Uh, than what it would have been perhaps without COVID or reserving uh, workspaces, you know, at, at, the, at the location. Um, and lots of things have just gone contactless, you know. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, and so, um, so that, that for sure has been a, a, a requirement. Um, and, uh, you know, I, the, I guess for many of our, our customers, they've been interested in resident engagement and community engagement. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is, I guess, change how do you deliver that you know before you could do tai chi outside you know together or have a gym class and everybody enjoyed that with pilates or, the, or you know uh, mm -hmm. uh, etc but now how do you deliver it and so uh it's made there's been a, i would say a lot of innovation because there wasn't a model that they could copy from somewhere else yeah. uh, there's been a huge amount of innovation on, on how to deliver your resident engagement your community engagement program but still be within the the um social distancing uh, concept and hygiene requirements, you know, related to COVID. So, uh, so we've, we've, you know, I, you know, I know it's not perceived this way, um, you know, globally in Ireland, uh, but, but the, the, the people who are managing these buildings are clearly one of the frontline workers. Yeah. And they're clearly one of the people and uh, that are, uh, taking care and uh, monitoring to a degree, the mental and social health, and, and also coming up with programs for physical health uh, for their residents. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, is there anything in particular you're looking at with kind of excitement? Um, is there any sort of trends or anything like that that you're kind of excited about? You know, we, we, we for sure see that um, PRS or institutionally owned, professionally managed residential units in, in Ireland are going to be um, um, 
a greater percentage of the total stock, housing stock in Ireland, uh, and it won't be just Dublin, but Galway, Cork, uh, Limerick, etc. Will, will join. Uh, will join that. Uh, will will join in that uh, mix, um, and uh, and you know. So that that's that's for sure. And uh, and the the competition between the different players in this market will also increase. Yeah. And so when I think about it, when I first arrived in Dublin in 94 and you rented an apartment and it was furnished back then too, but it was kind of like you got the sofa that grandma's dog died on. <laughs> it was kind of like, yeah. the, unless you've really rented something fancy dancy and that, that was even hard to find, you know, the, old the, mattresses and you the, know. The old mattresses. And, you know, and it was, it was really, you know, um, Grim. Grim. it was really, it was really tough. And so I think that, um, uh, I'm excited about the fact that the 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 quality of the living experience, even in rental in Ireland, is really uh, being is really has has improved. And and although in the Irish context, a lot of the initial units that became available were in the Docklands and were in the center of the city, and where people who are working for Facebook or Google and had a certain income level, et cetera. Uh, this trend is not dedicated just to those type of markets and those type of price points, but it's a trend that's going to develop across well, really nationwide and will be at all kinds of different price points and offer, uh, you know, the appropriate level of, of uh, opportunities, um, you know, right. at, at different price points over time. And, uh, and it's happening in student, uh, you know, yes. and uh, there's a lot of questions about whether co-living is the right one or not. Um, and, you know, for me, it's, it's, it's on that co-living, you know, a lot of, co a lot of uh, Irish apartment living already is co-living. Yes, a lot of people in different age groups who are renting apartments together and they don't even know each other, you know. And so, you know, whether you want to believe it or not, it already exists. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just whether you try to specifically cater for it or not. I have um, a friend who runs a company, a small startup called Roomigo, and, mm -hmm. and he focuses on pairing people, matching. Yeah, people. yeah, yeah. I've met him as well, and Ed, uh, yeah, and, Ed yeah, Ed, and, and I think it's a great idea, you know, that uh, to help people. Um, you know, match interest or whatever before they uh, sign up for a year <laughs> to, yeah, yeah. to, to living. And particularly now, because, you know, yeah, the past yeah. you, you got out of your apartment you know, and, and could stay out of your apartment, where today um, that's not so, um, uh, so, so easy. And uh, so, so I guess, in, in, um, uh, you know, I guess we're watching those trends. Um, and, uh, you know, um, I guess what excites me, I guess I'm looking forward to traveling again. You know, yeah. <laughs> I look at being forward to getting on the road again, and uh, to be honest, being back in Dublin again, I miss the pint, uh, and uh, and uh, you know, just being able to meet a couple friends or uh, take a, a customer to to lunch or dinner or something like that. You know, um, um, and um, and and I guess I think we all look forward to just life resuming. And, and the way we understand it again, I guess yeah. that uh, you know it's not directly professional, but uh, objective. It's not in our uh, it's not in our metrics or something like that. But I, for, I guess yeah. on a personal level, for sure, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Well, I look forward to having lunch with you, Galen. When we're I'm I'm watching the time, and we're coming to the end. I have a question that I ask all my guests, and that is um, advice for. A 20-year-old Galen now, looking back, would you do anything differently? And do you have any advice for people of that age group? Yeah, you know, I guess on, on, the, on the personal side, I, I would probably uh, say start your family earlier. Right. I, I waited. I thought I had to achieve certain things in uh, my professional life before I uh, went on the journey with, um, 
uh, for uh, creating a family and 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 family life, etc. And so for me, I would uh, I would I'd say don't wait too long, you know, uh, and uh, that uh, uh, you know, and uh, don't feel that there's certain professional or business objectives that you have to achieve to have that other part of your track life uh, to move forward. And um, so I, I guess on a personal level, that would be one thing that uh, that would come uh, would come to mind. And I guess for all of the people out there that are uh, entrepreneurs um, uh, is keep control. You know, well, um, when you mean you know, control, do you mean of the business or of your, of yourself? Keep, you know, keep control of the uh, equity of the business. Don't, so don't be so quick to bring in outside investment. Yeah. I think a lot of people, they're too quick to bring in uh, outside investment and uh, versus just generating revenue uh, or uh, going slower or going um, um, <clears throat> more humble. And, um, and, uh, and I think there are a lot of um, entrepreneurs that they don't recognize when they lose control, they actually just become an employee. And uh, at some stage that becomes visible and that can be very disappointing. And, uh, and so I, I guess I recommend, and if you, if, you, if you haven't even won your first customer and you already don't own 25% of the business, the, the idea that you could still have control when, when you exit is really unlikely. Yeah, and, uh, and so um, I, I guess for the for the, the the young entrepreneurs out there, I would just caution them uh, to to value their equity and not give up ten percent for ten thousand euro or something. Something. Yeah, and, I think uh, there's a vanity metric there, like oh, I've raised X and 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 this kind of thing that creeps in at a, at probably too early a stage. Yeah, and and of course they can pay themselves a nicer salary. You know, if, if they do raise a few million, um, for me, far more impressive is uh, I have these many customers and I have this much revenue. You know, yeah. and and at some stage, then the profit comes. You know, and uh, uh, so I, I think that for the, the young entrepreneur out there, or even more experienced entrepreneur, you know, keep control and of your of your what's yours really. Great advice. Uh, Galen, thank you so much for, for coming thank on you. today. Pleasure. If, yeah, it's a pleasure if, to be here. If, if anyone wanted to learn more about you or reach out, um, how can they find you? Or what's the best place to look? The easiest is, uh, uh, is email. and uh, Or you'll find me on LinkedIn, of course, uh, at galen at buildinglinkoneword.ie. And, uh, but uh, Galen Bales uh, at, uh, at LinkedIn, you'll find me easily. Uh, great. I'll put some links in the show notes. And uh, great. Galen, it's been great Thanks. chatting with you. Yeah. I look forward to uh, catching up with you when you're back. Great. great. Thank you, Gavin. We'll see you soon. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Galen. Um, that is it for episode number 54. Uh, thank you so much for listening. As always, my number one ask is for you to leave a review or to share out the episode with anyone you think might benefit from it. In the show notes, you're going to find links to the various things discussed today. And I'm going to put uh, Galen's email and um, uh, you know company website, things like that, just so that if you feel like reaching out to him or learning more, you can do that. Uh, I've, if you've got any questions or topics you'd like me to cover in future episodes, please contact me via the Facebook group Behind the Facade Community. And alternatively, you'll always find me using the handle Gavin J. Gallagher on social media. And uh, as you know, as I've talked about a couple of times now, I am in the process of building a YouTube channel called Gavin J. Gallagher. And I currently have a couple of videos up there. And if you haven't seen them, please pop over, have a look, subscribe to the channel and just help me get that going as well. I am also posting some 
uh, sort of extracts from these interviews that I'm giving people. So if you actually want to put a face to the voice and see who these guests I'm speaking to look like and uh, listen to a small segment of the conversation, you can do that over on my YouTube channel. Lastly, if you want to stay up to date with various events and challenges I'm working on, please add your name to the email list over at gavinjgallagher.com forward slash go. All right, guys, wish you the best of luck and we'll speak to you again next week. Mm -hmm.